books and reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. It isn't unusual for shops to begin playing Jingle Bell Rock or Baby It's Cold Outside about a minute after summer ends, which shoppers either love or abhor. 2020's been weird in numerous ways, and shopping for the winter holidays, whether it is Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or Christmas, is going to prove to be unusual. Our little goblins and ghouls may still be counting their candy from Halloween, and Thanksgiving is still several weeks away, but small businesses, including bookstores, are encouraging shoppers to start grabbing those gifts early this year for multiple reasons. So today, we talk to our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller of Carmichael Books in Louisville, about what books and gifts readers may want to check out this holiday season. Sam tells us why independent bookstores across the country called October the New December, which new books will be hot this holiday season, and what books that came out earlier in 2020 have had staying power. Finally, Sam gives some suggestions to shoppers about what they can do in addition to buying their gifts from local businesses to help stores financially through this weird, weird year to still keep their doors open in 2021. We're here with one of our favorite people that we didn't know, you know, up until we started doing this, that she was going to be one of our favorite people. But it's Sam Miller from Carmichael's Books. How are you doing, Sam? Hello. It's so nice to be with you again. I know. We're all back together talking about books. It's very exciting. It's good to see you. And you all. So it's been a while since we talked to you. You know, I think the last time we spoke was like right around, we were talking about summer reads. So things are a little bit different, I think. So tell us how life is at Carmichael's. Well, we opened back to the public on June 1st with, of course, uh, you have to have a mask and we have our own guidelines to keep people in the safe as well as ourselves. So that was interesting. It was really nice to see people again. A bookstore without people is not really that much fun. (laughs) And we're used to the customers doing a lot of the work as far as choosing the books they would like to read instead of us doing it for them over the phone or online. So that was nice. The anti-maskers are not so nice. But fortunately, we have had very few of those. Unfortunately, they kind of loom large because they're unpleasant encounters. But for the most part, people have been really great and very respectful of us and the rules that we have in place. So as far as the transition, because I know you were doing when everything was shut down, you all were doing like curbside pickup. Is that still going on? Tell us a little bit about that. We're still doing all the things that we did while we were closed. You can pick up your stuff at the curb if you're comfortable with that. You're welcome in the store, of course, with a mask. Um, We're doing delivery within certain zip codes in the city for free and with a minimum $25 purchase at, at other zip codes. And of course, we can always ship to you. So we're still trying to offer as many different kinds of ways to reach the customers as possible. So we're recording this the end of October. And in a normal year, we would hate the idea of thinking about the holidays this early. But everything is weird in 2020, including holiday shopping. So tell us why shoppers should be thinking and buying sooner rather than later for the holidays. 
Shop early, please. The American Book Association's slogan for October was, October is the new December. And there's lots of reasons for that. Capacity is one I've been thinking about a lot lately. If we're only allowed to have 10 people in our very small store, in addition to the staff, you'll have to wait outside if there's more than 10 people. And wouldn't you rather wait outside in October or November than December? I think the answer would be yes. Also, we've already been experiencing all year long delays in shipping from publishers of hot titles and also delays from our regular distributor from where we do our special orders. And we anticipate those are just going to get worse the more traffic is involved. Because, of course, people at warehouses have to social distance. They have to get supplies from places that they're struggling to get supplies from. So it's just testing the supply chain all the way up and down. So we're really encouraging people, especially if there's particular titles that you like, that you already know of, just buy them now and get it over with. You want to struggle to get them, it'll just be done. And I would imagine that's probably applicable to any small local business. You know, I I think across the board, a lot of small places are, it's a different ball of wax all the way across the board, getting items in. And so even though I dread thinking about holiday shopping, it's probably something that I need to just bite the bullet and start doing. Yes, please, Carrie, please start. (laughs) But especially for things that are super complicated to produce, like uh, an art book, for example, or cookbooks are super popular around the holidays. You just can't run a quick run of those. They're lavishly illustrated. It takes a lot longer. So probably especially with those kind of titles, we're going to see shortages. So really, if you have something in mind, you should jump on it now. I always love to talk about economics. Shortages. (laughs) No surpluses (laughs) this year, people. All right. So what are some of the books that are either out now that you think readers might be interested in checking out for the holidays or books that are expected to come out as we get closer? Well, there's always tons of new releases in the fourth quarter, even in a weird year like 2020, because that's one of the prime buying seasons of the year, obviously. There's a certain book by a certain former president that's coming out this month that uh, lots of people are going to be interested in. So yes, we expect Barack Obama's book to sell the best of any of the year. And we've placed a very, very, very large order. But still, please shop early, (laughs) get those reserves in. Take care of the business. Uh, But we have some other cool things we're going to be featuring in our holiday catalog and are already on some of our tables in the stores. There was a book out two years ago called The Lost Words, which was a small, tiny little gift book by a British author and a British illustrator that was huge for us and lots of independent bookstores. And that team has another book out called The Lost Spells, which is just a cute collection of spells, poetry, rhymes, all with beautiful, beautiful, lavish watercolor illustrations. So it's just like a lovely, lovely little gift book. There's also one of the most popular books while we were shut down. Lots of people reading a lot of nature books, I guess not surprisingly. One of those was Braiding Sweetgrass, which has been like an indie bookstore bestseller for some years. (laughs) It's about indigenous native writing. But the publisher went back this year and made a lovely gift edition with a ribbon and a beautiful cover. So we anticipate that we'll sell lots of those too, especially to all the people who read it while we were shut down or while they were locked up during the height of the pandemic in the spring and loved it and want to share it with other people now. I've heard of that one. (laughs) So do you have any books that you specifically are hoping to get your hands on to read over the holidays? I don't know how you guys feel about swearing. (laughs) 
if it's actually in a title, I, surely you can't fault me for that because the book is actually the new Lindy West. If oh, you're yeah, yeah. a fan of Shrill, either her book or the television show based on her book, her new book is coming out and it's called Shit Actually. She actually started her writing career writing for The Stranger, which is the free weekly newspaper in Seattle. And so this is a collection of some of her film criticism. Although I hear she kind of really takes a dump on Love Actually, which is one of my favorite holiday movies, I'm still want to read the book. So I know that you are a huge movie buff. You do a lot of old older movies. So is this newer movies or older movies or is it a mix? Do you know? I feel like it's I've just briefly looked at the book. It's mostly newer movies and more like a lot of pop culture referency type stuff, which she's known for in her regular writing anyway, but this just is jumping off from her start as a film critic. So you mentioned cookbooks, and that's always a very beloved gift in our household, mainly to me. <laughs> no one else, mainly to me, because I like to cook. But they're always a popular gift at the holidays. Are there some new ones coming out that listeners may want to check out? Yes, we have a new Odalingi cookbook, uh-huh. which are always super popular at Carmichael's. The new one is called Flavor. And as with all of the Odalingi cookbooks, it's beautifully illustrated. So it's really, really pretty. There's also a new Barefoot Contessa book. Mm-hmm. She has tons of favorites, tons of followers. She kind of leaned in. A lot of the new cookbooks, it seems like, are leaning into like comfort food. I don't know if that's a trend or just coincidence in 2020. Vivian Howard also has a new cookbook called This Will Make It Taste Good, which is also comfort food based. So I'm curious because I don't like to cook. So cookbooks are definitely not my jam. But I do love sci-fi and fantasy. And Amy and I both have, she has sci-fi fantasy readers in her house. I have sci-fi fantasy readers in my house. So are there any books in that genre that are coming out or, you know, relatively within the last month or so that have come out? Oh, yes. Of course. I bet you'll name one that that I want for Christmas. But let's see. Go I ahead, hope so. Uh, <laughs> Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse mm-hmm. is one that we expect a lot from. Kind of taking a page from the Children of Blood and Bone book. This one is actually based on pre-Columbian myths. And she has been around a little while, but she actually wrote a middle grade book for James Patterson's publisher. And then I think burst out a little bit out of the sci-fi only fans. So we expect big things from that one. Uh, She's Native American. Yes. And she had a book out, a series, but I think the first one was called Trail of Lightning. That was sci-fi fantasy that my husband read or wants Tell to read. Tell me that one again. Rebecca Roanhorse mm-hmm. is her name. Yeah. And she's she's not necessarily new, but I feel like this is the book that she's going to, it's kind Break of her out. breakout book. Mm-hmm. Frantically adding to my <laughs> Goodreads, because if, if I write it down on my paper, I'll forget. Okay, thank you. And also yeah, the, yeah. the gentleman who wrote The Three-Body Problem, who has a beautiful, beautiful Chinese name, which I'm sure to butcher, he has a new one called To Hold Up the Sky. So he has tons and tons of fans that been, have been eagerly awaiting this one. So I'm sure we'll sell lots of that for the holidays. And also Kim Stanley Robinson. I don't know if you have any Kim Stanley Robinson fans for you to buy for. His new one is called Ministry for the Future, and it's a, a climate change story. So I feel like that is going to be super timely, and people will be interested in that. So two books that are on my list, like my personal list that I want to get, and they're not coming out in December, but they've come out this year, Once in Future Witches by Alex Harrow, who was a guest on our show. So her second book is out now. And then there's Piranesi by Susanna Clark. And one of her other books is on my list to read. So now I'll have two books, Jonathan Strange and uh, Mr. Norrell. But that one's 800 pages. And (laughs) this one is not. This one is much, much shorter. Well, thank goodness. I have a tendency to 
not pay attention to page numbers until I'm too far in to turn back. But kind of like motherhood. (laughs) Anyway, but those are two books that I am going to probably buy for myself for the holidays. Well, and the Alex Harrow one has gotten really good reviews so far. And actually, so has the pair. Well... And I say it's gotten good reviews. There's a, a book podcast I listen to, and there's four different hosts, and they did that book recently, and all four of them gave it four and a half or five stars. The Alex Harrow book? No. No, the, the Piranesi, Piranesi book. The Piranesi okay. book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's getting good reviews from those four people. Okay. Well. <laughs> At least. <laughs> so reading seasonal books this time of year is always fun and, and helps get readers get cozy. I must say I'm having a bit of a issue right now because we're doing Christmas thing in October my seasonal reading is clashing I'm reading like haunted house books at the same time that I want to read my cozy holiday books and it's it's weird but what are some seasonal cozy reads that are coming out that should be on people's radar well to address Amy your dilemma I have a book for you (laughs) Um, the new book by Andrew Schaefer who is a Louisville author is called Secret Santa, and he describes it as The Office Meets the Shining. So I think that might be the bridge you need between your scary Halloween books and your cozy <laughs> holiday books. And I, I highly recommend your listeners, if they're at all interested, to see, check out the trailer on YouTube or on his Facebook page. It looks pretty funny. And having met him and waited on him many times in person, he is a, a just as funny in person as he is on the page. We interviewed him recently, and he's hysterical. Yes. He <laughs> And if you, especially if you have he and his wife, who is also a novelist together, it's like, yes, <laughs> it's something. Madcap adventures. Yes, indeed. Um, also, as far as other seasonal stuff, there's a kind of a cool one. I'm a photography fan as well. And there's a cool one called We Are Santa coming out. It's just a collection of photographs of men. I think they're mostly men uh, who play Santa as their like seasonal gig and it has like a delightful little essay interview with them talking about what they get out of it why they chose to do it and why they keep doing it and it's just very charming because not all of them look like santa so it's just very nice like you said a heartwarming holiday read you know a slightly uh, a different kind of holiday read also uh, speaking of cookbooks there's a literary holiday cookbook that that's coming out this year so holiday recipes from your favorite books so that might marry two loves together for you and also, there's a Downton Abbey Christmas cookbook if you want to get super fancy with your Christmas holiday. Ooh. I don't know about Downton Abbey. There might be too many, like, aspects and things. But <laughs> yes, some fancy blood puddings or something. <laughs> That's right. Some stuffed hog's head or something. The, the first one sounded a little more interesting to me. So what about the books for those secret Santa or office exchanges? Although, maybe there's not going to be that many of those this year. Who knows? But... Are there books that are good for just about anyone when you don't know what to get somebody? I have a few favorites in that realm. One I really like, I kind of pushed for it to be included in the Carmichael's Holiday Catalog. It did not, however, (laughs) make the cut. But it's called A Cloud a Day. And it's published by an organization called the Cloud Appreciation Society, (laughs) which I had never heard of before. But it's literally just that, 365 pages Each page has a lovely picture of a cloud, or it could be a terrifying picture of a cloud, depending (laughs) on what kind of cloud you're talking about, and then a brief little explanation of where it was taken, what kind of cloud it is, and so on. It's just really lovely, and it's one of those books you think, I'll just look at a couple pages, and then like you look up and 20 minutes has passed. So... That could be something that no one else is going to duplicate that gift, at least. <laughs> that's, that sounds very zen, <laughs> exactly. looking at clouds. There's also one that's new out called Meant to Avoid in Art and Life, which is also a very small gift book that has classic 
art paintings with some snappy mansplaining, et cetera, kind of <laughs> quotes on them. And it's, you'd be amazed at how many of those classic paintings lend themselves to that kind of repartee. So that's also a fun one to dive into. It would really make a great bathroom book, too. Like, just put it in your bathroom. You can, you know, as the need. As the need to rise. Exactly. <laughs> just check it out. I also like cartoons for this kind of thing. So, like, Nathan Pyle, who does the Strange Planet, he has a new one out called Stranger Planet. Again, something that kind of appeals to a wide swath of people. There's also a couple of anthologies that might work for that. The Louisville Anthology has just come out, edited by Aaron Keene. It has poetry, essays. So people who live in town, I think that would make a great gift. And there's also one that was a COVID-19 anthology. So the editor reached out to all sorts of writers of all sorts of different kinds of things to produce something based on this particular time. So there's poetry, essays. That I think would also be a nice gift. And one that we are featuring in the catalog, which is really cool and super nerdy, is one called the Call Me Ishmael phone book. <laughs> it was based on a project. These two friends were having a drink in a pub, and they were talking about famous first lines of books. And, of course, Call Me Ishmael came up. Yeah. And they said, well, wouldn't it be funny if there was like a phone number you could call and leave a message to Ishmael about your favorite book? So they set one up. So you could call this number and leave a voicemail about your favorite book. And so they did this for several years and they had like little phone booths set up in all different locations like libraries or bookstores. And they've collected them all in this book, which is arranged like an old Yellow Pages used to be in alphabetical order. And it has fake literary ads. So like for Ahab's whale tours, for example. <laughs> Or to buy Amy March's limes. So again, for your nerd, bookish nerd friends, I know you guys don't know any of those. <laughs> no. That would make a great gift. Well, now I know when I'm getting a certain co-host for Christmas. <laughs> Maybe she'll forget about it. So. <laughs> I probably will. So I was just thinking two books that I have heard about recently that I want to make sure I bring up. Under the sci-fi fantasy dome, there's a book called Estranged. And it is a graphic novel, and it is by Ethan M. Aldridge. And apparently there's two books so far, but it's a graphic novel. And my son has, my 13-year-old has read through a bunch of manga books. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to get a bunch of books from the library and, you know, throw them at him and see if any of them stick. And so... This book, Estranged by Ethan M. Aldridge, first of all, he picked it up and stuck his <laughs> nose in it, and he finished it and then said, are there any more like this? And so there is a second book called The Changeling King, and that came out in 2019. So that's a graphic novel, sci-fi type uh, fantasy that might be good for like a preteen or a teen. And then I have to bring up a new book. I followed this guy on Twitter, but he's a British sportscaster. And he has two dogs. Named oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Olive and Mabel. So he's got a book? Yes. yes. Oh, I love the Olive and Mabel videos. Oh, yes. They were all so, over social media. Yes, Andrew Cotter. Yes, Andrew Cotter. And he is a British sports announcer, I guess. And so the book is called Olive, Mabel, and Me, Life and Adventures with Two Very Good Dogs. So I don't think it's here in the United States yet as of our recording, but it is coming. So, you know, if you know somebody who's a total dog nut, I may or may not know that person. Uh, that might be a good one for she, them. She might know what she's getting for her co-host. <laughs> 
she might know. Those videos where he's calling their tussles in his sports announcer voice are hysterical. Are I'm so glad to know good. there's a book coming. Yes, we'll have to post those on our Facebook yes. page, Instagram, yes. if I can figure it out. I'm not good at Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know, is your buying guide going to be out again? Yes. It's at the printer even as we're recording this. So hopefully it will be out a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. We did change the format. Normally it you know, has some fewer titles and longer descriptions. We decided this year, since many people wouldn't be able to come in the store to get it, that maybe it might be better to do it a little bit more bite-sized. So we're going to have even more titles and shorter on the description. And also we're going to be including some things that we generally haven't in the past because people would normally come into the store. So like things like sidelines are going to be included in the catalog this year. But look for it coming soon. So last year, I know you had a, a physical, like, version you could hold in your hand that you mailed out or you could pick up at the store and you also had online is it going to be in both those forms yes absolutely so i'm i'm curious are there again we talked to you in the summer are there any books that you've read over the course of this year that still stick with you you know even as we're getting into the fall that you're like people need to read these that you would say if you're really struggling if you don't know these are books that i have read this year and really loved go No pressure. I just finished reading Tana French's new book. She's a Irish mystery author. Uh, it's called The Searcher. And this one is a standalone, separate from her Dublin Murder Squad books. First of all, I really appreciate that when authors who have a, an existing series that's very successful put that aside to write something else. I think that's... That's brave. That, it is brave. Mm-hmm. She could just keep on writing that series forever and people would be happy. But she's doing something else, which I applaud. And the description sounds very uh, cliched. Uh, It's a a Chicago detective, retires from the force, and moves to the middle of nowhere, Ireland. But what she's done that's very interesting is she's applied a bunch of Western, like uh, she's obviously been watching or reading a lot of Westerns. So she's applied some of those classic Western storytelling flourishes to what's essentially grit-lit set in rural Ireland. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting to me, completely different for her, but very strong. And I am a big mystery fan and a big fan of hers, especially. And I just thought that was really terrific. So it just knew out. But I hope that people will discover that one. And because it's a standalone, you, you don't have to worry about I've never read her before or anything like that. Oh, that sounds totally up my alley. Because I like her books anyway. And I like Westerns. And I like things in Ireland. There you go. <laughs> It will. I, I like mean, Chicago, <laughs> even though it doesn't take place there. And I love the Irish. She does such a good job with the Irish, the language. And I wish that as a non-Irish person living in Kentucky, I can't get away with some of those expressions, but I really wish I could because they're just lovely to read. Another one that I really enjoyed, in fact, I enjoyed it so much that the majority of it was read while I was anxiously waiting in a waiting room for an icky medical procedure. And I actually forgot the icky medical procedure because it was so good. It's called Metropolitan Stories, and it's written by a woman who worked at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York for 25 years, and then she quit to become a writer. And it's just very short stories about all different facets of the museum, from the art to the director to the guy who sorts the bags in the museum store. And they all somehow connect. But as you're reading them, they all seem like they're very different and separate. And you have no idea how it's all going to connect. But then she ties it all up at the end. And it's just just so lovely, especially if you like museums or art. And it was just such a balm, like an anxious mind. So I really, really enjoyed that one. Yeah, that that gets my highest marks for sure. Did you say who wrote that? Who, Who wrote that? Her name is Christy Coulson. 
There you go. Well, I have to say, when we had you on for our summer reading guide, I have read three or four of the books that you recommended and have liked all of them. Yay! Hooray! I listened to the one and only Bob, and Danny DeVito narrates it, and it was amazing. It was so good. I still talk. I still talk about it. But those are some recent reads that I I really enjoyed. But I've gone from we talked about I think last time at the beginning of the pandemic I couldn't read at all and I was very upset about that because I've been a reader since I can't remember when. So to not be able to read during this stressful time was stressful. upsetting. <laughs> stressful <laughs> and I, it made me mad. <laughs> Plus it's I'm a professional and I need to be reading to do my job well. And then I hit a spot where I was reading, was easing back into it, but I needed just the right thing. And now I'm at the opposite end where I'm devouring everything and I'm reading a book in like days. So I've got, I've run the entire gamut in 2020. <laughs> so you had mentioned the last time we talked to you about, is it the Glass Hotel? Is yes. that what it's called? It's like on my list. I haven't read it yet, but you would still recommend that one? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's definitely in contention for my book of the year for sure. But uh, to say too, Carrie, that whatever Emily St. John Mandel writes, I'm going to be there for. I mean, just she just totally has my number as a reader. And she's just definitely one of those writers it's really hard to hand sell because the plot may sound uninteresting. It's what she does with it and how she makes you feel that's more important than the plot. Yeah. But yes, I think Please keep it in your sack. Move it to the top. It's great. <laughs> I might add that up, you know, move that with, uh, you know, buy myself three books. The Once and Future Witches, Piranesi, and The Glass Hotel. And then that'll take me, you know, that'll take me through most of December, I think. So It is not, however, a warm holiday read. So if you're looking for a warm holiday <laughs> she read. She doesn't care about that. That's more of an Amy <laughs> thing. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I am not a seasonal. I like Halloween. And so I am in the process of reading right now. I've been reading some of the Ramsey Campbell Alone with the Horror Stories. If we keep Halloween and get rid of everything else, I'm totally fine with that. I'm good. I'm not a seasonal person. Well, you are a seasonal person, just not that season. Just, <laughs> right, right. Just not all those other seasons, that one particular one. I know that people are going to be, you know, once the weather gets colder, people are probably going to be returning to maybe some of those activities that they were doing in the spring when they were stuck in their houses during full-fledged quarantine. I know I came by Carmichael's, this has been a little while, but I happened upon a David Bowie puzzle. And so pick that up as a birthday gift for somebody. So what are some non-book items that, that you all have in the stores right now that, that you think might make good stocking stuffers or, or gifts for people who maybe aren't super for big readers. Well, in addition to, you know, a plethora of socks and mugs and that sort of bookish related things, we do also have a lot of more board games than we ever had before. And to your point, more puzzles than we ever had before, because when we were closed, especially when, you know, things were more tightly locked down, puzzle people were going crazy and they needed puzzles. So we expanded our relationships with anybody who would sell puzzles. So we have lots more puzzles from lots more different places than we have ever had before at Carmichael's, which is great if you do puzzles. We have lots of great puzzles. We also have, like I said, more games than we ever had before, including a Bowie bingo, which <laughs> I was helping to write the catalog. And w- what else do you say about Bowie bingo? <laughs> it's like, that sort of sells itself, exactly. doesn't it? Exactly. If I don't have you there, it's not going to happen. No description I can come up with is going to make you want that. Um, but we have a, f- a couple of fun ones. Uh, one put out by Garden and Gun magazine. Which it's a southern magazine if you're not familiar with it. And I like their writing very much. But they have put out a, a trivia game called Bless Your Heart. And it's like all southern trivia. So uh, if, 
that's really fun to play, especially like after the Thanksgiving meal with the few family you're allowed to have. <laughs> um, we also have a fun one. There was a book that came out a couple years ago called Dryer's English, which was written by a copy editor. And then there's an accompanying game out now called Dryer's Board Game. And then you can play that a couple of different ways, but that's also really great for people who spot errors and it drives them crazy in writing, for example. So that kind of great book nerd gift. You might get two <laughs> Christmas gifts. <laughs> a book and a game. <laughs> and a set of bingo, a bingo set. Yeah. So we know that independent bookstores are struggling right now. So what are some things that listeners can do besides buy physical books at your store to help indie bookstores right now? Besides buy, buy, buy. Um, I would also say, how about a gift card? That's like giving us cash up front because we take the money when you buy the card, obviously, and then it never expires or never loses value. So you could hang on to it to buy something for yourself later if you don't need anything now. You could use that as an emergency gift when that person gives you a gift and you're like, oh crap, I didn't buy you anything. <laughs> Here you go. Also, we have a relationship for audiobooks with a company called Libro FM, where you can sign up and get a membership with them and buy your audiobooks there. But also when you're signing up, you can write in uh, an independent bookstore to give a portion of your sales too. So it's kind of works like if you shop at Kroger and you have a Kroger card and you can put a charity to benefit from your shopping, it kind of works the same way as that. And so with that, I know you can get like a, a monthly yes. membership and you can buy cards that are like a month, three months, exactly right. six months membership for it. Okay. And other things you can do to support not just Carmichael's, but any independent business is to ask for things when people ask you what you would like as a gift ask for something that you can only get there. So I would love a Carmichael sweatshirt. I would love a Carmichael's mug. That would help a great deal as well. Or just encourage them as you're shopping, as you're talking about shopping with your friends to encourage them. Please, you know, shop local. Think of the stores that have supported your causes in the past, who've given you donations, who've sponsored your child's sports teams. And think about how hard a year they might have had and what possibly could you do for them? Well, maybe you could just vote with your dollar and, and be very deliberate about your shopping. Yes, it's very easy to shop online and press a few buttons when you have things set up and your purchase is done. But those people aren't the people in your community. So maybe think about that when you're shopping and encouraging other people around you who you might have influence over to do the same. Well, and Carmichael's has a, a wonderful website. And early on in the pandemic, I sort of had a problem and I was ordering a, I, it was so easy to go on there. I was probably buying more books than I could possibly read in the amount of time that I had. But it is very easy to order online with Carmichael's. I mean, you can, you know, pay to have it shipped to you. But even if you just live in town and you like that feel of just being able to click on the button, it's very user friendly well, and easy to that. use. And sometimes you just feel like you want to shop at 3am and we're yes. not, we're not going to be there at 3am. <laughs> yeah. right. You can still do it. I saw that you'll have some new clothing swag. We do. We have a whole bunch of new hoodies and like long sleeve sweatshirts and uh, yes, yeah, and some fun new colors. We have like a brick color for fall. It's very fashionable. Another fun sideline that I like is especially with all that's gone on this year with the post office, we actually have a pencil holder that looks like the blue mailbox that you would see on the corner. It's super simple, but it's very well made. And I was just like, oh, I hope everyone buys these. And I hope that they love the post office as much as we do and that they could show it by buying this cute little pencil holder. All right. Well, sounds like lots of great stuff at Carmichael's. I've got my list that I've started. And so 
I'll be probably ordering and then doing curbside because although, you know, you got to come in sometimes and see the cute stuff. So anyway, thank you. And we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk about what we're all reading. We are back with Sam Miller and with Carrie. And Carrie and I did not talk about what we were going to talk about this week. So I'm curious, what are you reading? So normally I have about three books going at a time. But one of the books that I want to talk about, it has been on my to-read list for a while. It is called The Poet X, a novel by Elizabeth Acevedo. So this is a novel told in verse. Right. And so... We've talked about it on several shows. You love a novel told in verse. I love a novel told in verse. Yes, I do. So, you know, I started reading this. I had been wanting to read it. I had no idea what it was about. It was a National Book Award winner. And so that right there is enough to make me want to go, oh, I I think I should read this. So I started reading it. And it is the story of Ciamara Batista. And she's a high school student. She has a twin brother. And her mother and father came to the United States and they are very Catholic. And so she is being raised, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, devout? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. So her mother is very devout. And so Siamara is being told what she can and can't do as, as a female. And so she is questioning. And this is totally, I, I feel like I'm reading my own <laughs> you know, experience as a high schooler, because she is starting to become interested in the opposite sex. And she very much feels like what she is feeling and what she is thinking is the complete antithesis of what her mother has told her her whole life. And so I'm only I'm about 40% through the book. So I don't know what's going to happen, but she's a poet. And so one of her teachers is trying to encourage her to join this like poetry spoken word club. And so I'm at the point where she's debating because the poetry club happens on the same day that she is supposed to go to church for like confirmation classes. And so she's having these feelings of, do I sort of break my mother's heart? Do I go against what my mother is telling me to do so that I can be my own person and experience my life instead of just doing what my mother says? So as a person who was a bit rebellious as a teenager, I just feel like I I can just relate to this so much. And it's, it's just beautifully written. There are lines in this that are wonderful. So I highly recommend it. Again, poetry in verse. So... So I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but I sent you a link earlier today where a school system, I think, was trying to ban this book. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was, a, I think it was a small charter school. I mean, I, you know, the thing is, I am not for banning books in general. I mean, I feel like let kids read what they want to read. But, you know, the thing is, I mean, this young girl is doing what every young person essentially does as part of their development. They're questioning and they're challenging what they've been taught. And I don't know... I mean, I don't know a single teenager that hasn't done that in some way, shape, or form. The ones who don't seem like they're doing it are just better at hiding it, I think. So that's what I've been reading. So Sam, how about you? What have you been up to? Well, I am excited. I'm a Sylvia Plath fan, and there's a new 
ginormous biography out called Red Comet. It just came out this week as we're recording this. I haven't read it yet, obviously, but what the author purports to do and hopes to do is sort of restore Plath to her rightful place as a, a premier American poet and separate a little bit of the drama, a little bit of the, the way she died. The emphasis is so much on that to try to put the emphasis on the work, not on the, uh, the painful personal story. But a couple other books that I've recently read that I don't think I talked about with you guys before were Emma Straub's All Adults Here and then The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And lots of people have loved those books this year and there's been lots of things said about why those books were great. But one thing that I noted about both of those books that I haven't seen mentioned in any review or in any conversation that I've had with customers is they both feature trans characters as supporting characters. They're not the protagonists. But they're just there because they're there in life. And they're very uh, matter-of-fact about their presence. They're, they're in different points of their journey in being trans. But I just thought they were both beautifully written. And I was glad to see them and appreciated that the authors put them there. They were integral to the story, but as I said, but they're not the protagonists. And I thought that they did a great job of showing them. And uh, that just it just made me happy. Especially because I kind of read those two books back to back. And so it's like, oh, great job. I, I appreciate that representation. That's great. So I'm curious about this Sylvia Plath that you mentioned. So how big is it? Like, how long? <laughs> well, who was just saying they didn't do page counts? I, I, I know. I told I need to. That's the thing. I don't, and I need to. I don't have an actual page count. I'm okay. sure we could look it up. But okay. it's north of 500 pages. Oh. But no, there's that's been a commitment. It is a commitment. But some of the things that have been hidden before or protected by, if you don't know the story, yeah. that her then husband, who she was getting divorced from, Ted Hughes, upon her death, possessed all of her papers, some of which were published, some of which went missing. So in recent years, this author has had access to papers and diaries and notes that had not been accessible to other biographers so this is there's some new information i don't know if that weighs how that weighs out against the page count for you but well she always likes to do some sort of big honking biography <laughs> last year or was well, this year i don't know 2020 so long it was vincent van gogh you did yes i finally finished i started that in 2019 and finished it in 2020 so maybe so, yes, this will be the year of be, sylvia plath so maybe maybe i should add this but yes i, I do want to i read a number of her books of poetry and a biography. And I was always, it's just an intriguing story. Oh, you know, absolutely. The whole, yes. The whole thing. And there was something that I just read recently where Sylvia Plath was, was part of it. Well, there's also another book coming out that I also read called Three Martinis at the... We'll have to look that up too. It comes out next year. But it's a story, uh, it's a story about... Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton, and how they had a very brief friendship slash rivalry. And that was also very interesting and also had some newer information that hadn't been available to previous writers. I know what it was. So Andrew Schaefer, who you mentioned, I read really, I mean, like, this was a super quick read for me. I read it very recently. It's called Literary Rogues, A Scandalous History of Wayward Authors. And that's where it it talks about a little bit, you know, it talks more about Anne Sexton, but it it did mention um, Sylvia Plath. So that's, I was like, I knew I had just read something. And you said the which one was about three martinis? Yes, three martinis at some 
not the Carlisle Hotel, some famous hotel. So they were like frenemies? Sort of. They were in the same writing class briefly and then would go out afterwards and have the three martinis. So they knew each other. They weren't pal pals, but. It's called Three Martini Afternoons at the Ritz by Gail Crowther. So Amy, what have you been reading? So I'm actually going to talk about two books today that I just finished and I really liked both of them. So I couldn't pick just one to talk about. And the first one I'm going to talk about is I I had a sort of a self-realization the other day. You know how you kind of get like certain niches that you find comfort reads or they're totally your jam. And I have realized that uh, Victorian Gothic haunted house books are are my comfort read, which sounds really weird. You know, I'm just going to own it. That's totally me. So I read a book called This House is Haunted by John Boyne. And he's most well known for his book, The Boy in Striped Pajamas and The Heart's Invisible Furies. But he also tried his hand at writing a gothic horror book. And I love this book. I'm not going to talk about it too much. It's pretty much your, you know, your standard haunted house book Victorian era there's a governess and there's you know two children and the parents are kind of we're not sure where they are you know so it's a lot of the same tropes that you see but he does play with that a little bit and so you know one of the tropes you often see is about the hysterical female and in the story he really sort of the governess herself pushes back on that so you see some feminisms come in she has some agency coming back into the story and then he also explores why a malevolent spirit in the house is malevolent so sort of exploring that backstory and maybe there's good reasons why certain spirits are malevolent it's a great book they have a right to be ticked off they might have a right (laughs) to be ticked off so I thought this was a great book. I read it really. It's not too long. I think it's right under 300 pages. Um, so if you're into that kind of book, I would give that a try. But the book I really wanted to talk about it today is a book that I just, I started it last night after I finished the Haunted House book. <laughs> and I read like 20 pages of it. And then I read a little bit this morning and ended up just finishing the book. And now it's not very long, but it's called The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating by Elizabeth Tova Bailey. I love it when I find a book by accident that I end up loving. This is a nature memoir, and it was a great little surprise of a book. So the author, Elizabeth Tova Bailey, she came down with a mysterious illness right before returning from a trip to Europe. And it it turned out to be a form of encephalitis. Not exactly the same, but like that brain on fire. Mm -hmm. You know, that was also encephalitis, a different kind. But this encephalitis ended up making her bedridden and virtually paralyzed for many years. And during the time when she was convalescing, she was bedridden. And she could barely even hold a book to read. And so a friend brought her a little planter filled with some field violets that she had seen when she was on a walk in the woods. And she dug them up, put them in this pot... And on one of the leaves was a snail. And at first, the author was confused on why her friend would leave the snail on this plant that she was bringing in instead of just removing it. But after a day or two, she realized that she was really fascinated by watching this snail. And so she eventually has her caregiver bring in a large tank to make a terrarium for this little snail friend. And so the book is a journey of the author over a year, literally befriending this little snail, researching it, comparing its life to hers. She contemplates her illness, her inability to do anything with her body and only her mind, and the way that she's isolated and how she deals with that. So while she didn't intend it, I saw a lot of parallels 
with our current pandemic and the need of humans to isolate themselves. And so she speaks to the way snails, when facing conditions that aren't suitable to them, whether it be it's too hot in the summer, it's too cold in the winter, conceal themselves up in their shell houses and avoid those environmental challenges. And Bailey compares this to humans. She writes, how wonderful it would be if humans with illnesses could simply go dormant while the scientific world went about its snail-paced research and wake only when new safe medical treatments were available. But why limit such an amazing ability to the ill? When a country faced famine, what if the entire population could go dormant to get through a hard time in a safe and peaceful way until the next growing season came around? And I think most of us feel like that. Like, don't we all wish that we could sort of just like go to sleep and have missed most of 2020? (laughs) Yes. So this made me think of COVID. It also made me think of racism, about the cruelty that we're seeing in our current reality. And in some ways, we all would like to seal ourselves up in our, we've been sealing ourselves up in our homes. And Bailey says that being homebound in the human world is sort of like vanishing. And sometimes it feels like that, you know, when you're in your house for a long time, you don't get to see other people, it sort of feels like vanishing. I really love this little book. It's a quiet, mainly cerebral book. I mean, there really isn't any action. The author is bedridden and the snail is a snail. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a quick read. You could read it in an afternoon. So if you're doing a reading challenge where you need to read a, a short book, then this definitely fits that bill. It gives you a lot to think about. Like, what could we notice if we weren't so busy all the time? What can we learn about ourselves by observing the natural world? What can we learn about resilience? So I've read a few nature memoirs recently that I've enjoyed. I think I talked about on the show, The Daily Coyote by Shreve Stockton. And I also read one called The Milk Lady of Bangalore, which is as much really about a a cultural memoir as nature. And that one's about Indian culture and their love of cows. But I've discovered that this is a subgenre that I really enjoy. Maybe not quite as much as haunted houses, but, you know, there's still time. Uh, So I'm going to keep my eyes out for some more. Um, I think this would be a great book for the reader who likes books about nature and animals or is perhaps chronically ill themselves and is looking for ways to bring positivity to their lives or just a feel-good story about the amazing world that's all around us. So I highly recommend it. I gave it five stars. And I'm taking it home today. Yes, you are. Yeah. Because it sounds like I can add it to my uh, creative nonfiction. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. You of, could. Of, of books. So yeah. very cool. Very They're cool. not maybe quite as interesting as Octopus pusses but well, i don't know i mean they're you know, pretty they're pretty they're both slimy so they are both they slimy going for and there's a very interesting passage in there about how they're hermaphrodites and so she has the snail for a year and at one point like i don't know six or seven months in it lays eggs and they can do that they can be a male or a female they can like lay eggs the female can hold the sperm for indefinite amounts of time until the the time is right like you know all the <laughs> octopuses can do that too oh can they yes well maybe yeah. they're not all that different yeah. i think you're gonna like it Karen. yeah i'm excited i'm excited very good well we're gonna take another short break and when we come back we're gonna be doing something a little bit different no top five this time
So because Sam has been, not that we don't want to know everything there is to know about Sam, it, <laughs> it might get a little tedious if we, every time we see her, we do five questions. So we thought since this is kind of a thinking about the winter holidays that we would talk about seasonal things that we might want to remind people about, you know, either things they can do or movies or books or whatever. So Sam, what are some, some of your favorite either movies, books, or things that you just enjoy doing in December and early January? Well, two words for you. Christmas ravioli. Several years ago, a friend of my stepmother's gifted her a recipe for ravioli that my stepmother fell in love with and became our Christmas Eve dinner. We're not Italian, but we embrace it. It, however, is the most complicated recipe I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) The recipe itself is two pages long, and the first sentence says, take one hen. Oh, no. Yes. (laughs) It takes days to make, but it is so delicious and wonderful. At this point, it wouldn't be Christmas Eve without it. So that's if you talk about Christmas, Christmas ravioli pops into my head. So wait a minute. Take one hen? <laughs> That's the first sentence of like the Like a live one or can it be dead? I feel like that the preference was probably to be live. However, my stepmother chooses to, <laughs> to go buy one that's already been uh, plucked, plucked and taken care of. So is it filled with chicken? It is filled with both chicken and pork. Oh, okay. Okay. That explains. So it's not like a cheese ravioli with... Oh, gosh, no. And know. then obviously the ravioli are handmade. So yes, it's a multi-day... That's kind of cool. It's very cool. I've helped her make it before, and it's very complicated. And of course, you know, it's one of those recipes because it is so complicated and takes so long. You can kind of taste the love in it when you eat it. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of sauce? It, it's just like a very simple tomato sauce okay. with a little bit of mushrooms in it. It's very mm-hmm. tasty. We're not Italian either, but I've always wanted to do that feast of the seven fishes because we love fish and seafood and I always thought it would be fun to do that but usually by Christmas Eve I'm so exhausted I can't even think about making seven different dishes with with fish in them well if you're shopping early this year as we're recommending then you'll have plenty (laughs) of time for that feast of seven fishes that's right the other thing I would say is there's lots of Christmas movies I enjoy it wouldn't be Christmas if I didn't listen and or watch at least four or five Christmas carols the line Tiny Tim, who did not die, is one of my favorites ever. But I have to say two of my recent discoveries, they're very old movies, but recent discoveries as far as Christmas films are Bob Hope's The Lemon Drop Kid and It Happened on Fifth Avenue, both of which are vintage black and white movies from the 40s that are fantastic and easily found on streaming and or gotten easily gotten from your library if you're old school and you do DVDs. Oh. So they're both warm-hearted comedies, so they're appropriately G-rated for the entire family. Highly recommend them. Oh, that's cool. So I don't like to cook, ever. So our family tradition, on Christmas Day, I just order donuts from a local bakery and feed my family donuts because... And now I do make like a quiche <laughs> or something like that. But we are, uh, like, my brother and my mom and dad. Now, I don't know if we'll be able to get together this year because my dad is doing chemo. So that kind of changes things up in the middle of a pandemic. But our New Year's tradition and, and sometimes Christmas tradition is to eat the weirdest food all put together. So, like, most people, like, don't most people do, like, maybe ham or, you know... Some kind of bird, right? Turkey, like something like that. Well, 
my family, that's not really our thing. We will have like shrimp cocktail and mostaccioli or, you know, like Chinese salad and, you know, lasagna or something. So we, I don't know. It's just, it's like fusion. <laughs> it's, it's a really depressing fusion of food, but that's kind of how we roll. So that's usually what we do like Christmas and, and New Year's. But now I will say on New Year's Day, we always have to have something that has some cabbage in it. So it, just because that's supposed to, I think that the saying is like, it brings you wealth. And after many years of marriage where my husband refused to eat anything, he will now take, you know, eat a little bit of an egg roll or something. So, because it has cabbage in it. Well, we have lots of traditions, but one that I wanted to mention because we might have to do it in a different way is that usually each year we will go see the Christmas Carol at Actors Theater and they're not doing a live performance, but what they are doing is a radio play of the Christmas Carol this year. So I'm kind of interested in that. I think we're, we're going to be interviewing somebody from Actors Theater about that here in a few weeks, but I have enjoyed the radio plays. Well, I went, I went to see one last year that Kentucky Shakespeare did. It was, um, it was at Halloween, War yeah. of the Worlds. And it was really fun to see what items they would use to make the different sounds and everything. So I'll be interested to see about the Christmas Carol. We normally have like a, on Christmas Eve with all of my husband's extended family, we have like a white elephant party, which I know lots of people do. We did it because when we moved here, we wanted to make it such that nobody in the family felt like they had to like exchange gifts with everybody. So this is sort of our way of... It's like gag gifts. In fact, my son still has one of the T-shirts that was the gifts, and he still wears it, and it's a picture. I might not be able to put this on the air, but it's <laughs> Bill Clinton holding, like, a machine gun with Monica Lewinsky, like, hanging on his leg. With, anyway, <laughs> they're, they're really weird gifts, but I don't think we're going to be able to do that yeah. this year. So that's kind of a bummer. But we do watch the Christmas story every Christmas Eve. But I wanted to actually – mention a couple books that I read last holiday season because I like to read seasonally. So there were a couple holiday books that I enjoyed. Now, when I say holiday books, one of them is about Christmas. The rest of them really aren't about Christmas, but they sort of are set in wintertime. And the first one is called Hidden Sea, A Tale of the Once and Future Nutcracker by Gregory Maguire. And he's the author who wrote Wicked. And he often takes fairy tales and things and sort of writes a backstory for it. So I grew up loving the Nutcracker. I have this huge Nutcracker collection. I was in the Nutcracker when I was a little girl. And so I was very anxious to read this book. And so it kind of gives you the backstory of Drusselmeyer, the man who makes the Nutcracker. And so I, like I said, most of it is not set during Christmas at all. It's about him from a young boy and then growing up. And I really enjoyed it. But, you know, it has some fabulous elements to it. But so does the Nutcracker. So, I mean, if that's not your thing, then that's not the one for you. Another one for people who sort of like a romance, um, I read one called Last Christmas in Paris by Hazel Gaynor. And this is an epistolary novel. It's written in letters. It's set during World War One, and it's letters between two young people in a small town in England, and he goes off to war. And so she's writing letters to him. She's writing letters to her brother who goes with him. And... Even though it's called Last Christmas in Paris and, and Christmas, it's their letters over like three or four years. And oftentimes, you know, Christmas will go by and they talk about Christmas. But it's not really so much about Christmas as it is about their relationship in World War One. And then I know I talked about this one on the podcast, but The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley. And Lucy Foley has a new book out right now. It's called 
I don't know Carrie's the guest list the guest list and I have not read that one but I love the hunting party it's very Agatha Christie-esque but updated it's set on New Year's Eve New Year's Day in a remote Scottish hunting lodge and these group of I think it's four different couples who are friends go there's a murder you know trying to figure out who did it I really like that one and then my last one and I also talked about this one on the show but I want to remind people because this one is so good Winter Solstice by Rosamund Pilcher now this one is totally about Christmas it's set in Scotland it's wonderful and warm and makes you feel cozy inside and it is kind of a big book but I was sad when it ended Mm. so there you go there's my four holiday reads that I would I would suggest to people to pick up I'm going to need to Google, like, anti-holiday reads. Now, I know I've said... You need to read Andrew Schaefer's new book, maybe. Maybe that's what I need to do. Now, I have read, and I've talked about this before, but I I have always enjoyed the David Sedaris Holidays on Ice, and especially the story about the parents watching their kids perform, like, the Christmas holiday extravaganza, whatever. But, yeah, I I think that uh, Secret... Is it Secret Santa? Yeah. Yeah, I think that might be where I need to go, because I am... I'm not the warm and fuzzy Christmas person no. at all. Anything else, Sam? Nutcrackers terrify me. <laughs> really? <laughs> Nutcrackers are the clowns of Christmas. Really? <laughs> I probably have 50 I'm- Nutcrackers that I put on my mantle and they're all different kinds. My kids love so, them. I guess I, I'm really glad we're recording this in November then. <laughs> or else I would be too terrified to come That's inside. That's so funny. Oh, my God. I'm not going to be able to look at them the same because I hate clowns. So when you say they're the clowns of, of Christmas, I'm like, oh, my God. I don't mean Clowns to, are so creepy. To rain on your nutcracker parade, but I find them terrifying. Well, this book about the nutcrackers it's a little bit scary it has some parts that are a little bit scary well i think the, the ballet is a little bit scary yeah. intentionally so right yeah yeah there's some there's some dark magic there's some dark <laughs> magic going on there oh well that's all i need i'm like i like nutcrackers now totally <laughs> differently about nutcrackers that has given me an appreciation for nutcrackers now that i didn't have so thanks for changing my world view <laughs> That'll be her Christmas book this year. (laughs) Sam, it's always good to see you. So thanks for joining us. And, you know, hopefully we're not spreading the Rona between us. But Oh, no. Yeah. Happy holidays to everyone. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.